Y'all been to church yet? Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) Man, I have been waiting for this day and excited for this morning for a long time. I am so excited to see the way that God works in our stories and through our stories. And throughout this series, we're going to be examining stories primarily from the Old Testament where we see some sort of transition or some sort of change or some sort of rescue that comes out of nowhere, that comes from an unforeseen place. Everything that we do is going to be rooted in Scripture, in the stories of Scripture over the course of this series. I'm really excited about this. We're going to be doing some exciting things to make these sermons more available. Um, sometimes a sermon is 30 minutes, and the, the stuff that goes into it is a small book. Um, so we're going to be finding ways to make those resources available so that you can take what we talk about on a Sunday morning and dive deeper into it if you would like. We're really excited about this series. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 4 this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up there. Joshua chapter 4, that is the sixth book in the Bible. So if you open up to the beginning and start turning to the right, you will get there pretty quick. Joshua chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, and the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. Let's pray. God, we gather here this morning as we always do, asking that your name would be the name that matters. The name of Jesus would be the name that we remember. That your word, that what is from you to form our hearts would be remembered that anything that's just my ideas or perceptions or assumptions would be revealed so that it can be rejected. We're here for you and for your word today. Form us into your likeness. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Perception is reality. You heard that phrase before? Yeah, it's funny, that phrase, uh, people love it or they hate it, depending on their perceptions of what it means. I just think that's ironic. Uh, here's, here's a good way to help us think of this phrase, perception is reality. Take a look at this table. 
right here. Now, depending on your experience in life, you see a lot of different things. If you've ever worked in a, in a job where you had to like unpack a lot of shipments, then you probably see that someone's gonna, about to get called into the manager's office because somebody didn't do their job and clean up, right? Like this is leftovers. If you've done construction, these are offcuts. These are the things that get left over at the site that you throw in the trash. But some of you look at this and you're like, that looks a lot like my attic. Because you're one of those people who everything that gets thrown away or that should be thrown away might have a purpose someday. So you put it into the attic because someday we might use it. And then 10 years from now, when you finally use that one thing, you're like, see, I told you I had a reason. And some of you are looking at other people that you know that that's that type of person. And if we were here long enough, you know people would take a selfie in this, right? Like that would inevitably happen. Some of you might be kind of handy and you're thinking, you know what? I've got a cabinet door in my garage that leans a little bit. And I'm pretty sure I could get it right with this. That'd be a perfect shim. But if we were 10, we would absolutely have a sword fight. Yeah, wouldn't we? I mean, this would definitely happen. Or parents, you know that this would become baseball, right? Like that would inevitably happen. I don't care how it happens. Like if there is something you can hit, something that can be thrown with, if there's a duct tape ball of rubber and a stick, or ru- uh, yeah, you know what I mean. If there's a duct tape, a rubber band ball, and a stick, it becomes baseball. That's just how kids work. Or magic wand, expelliarmus, right? <laughs> like these, this could become anything. Now here's the thing. Everything on this table has an objective reality. Everything on this table has a definition. But the way we interact with the things that are on this table are determined by our perception. And our perception is shaped by our experiences in life, by our situation in life, by our background, by our job, by our current circumstances, maybe even by our imagination. We all look at this and we see the same ingredients, but those ingredients spark different memories and they spark different associations. So we might not say perception is reality because reality is defined outside of this, outside of us, but we could certainly say that the way that we respond to reality is predicted by our perception and that our story, our experiences in life determine our perception. Perception might not be reality, but it does predict our response to it. Now, the first thing that I think we see in this story of the people of Israel crossing the Jordan is that it confronts a common misperception that we have as humans. We've got a lot of misperceptions. We often talk about those in church. This is one that we've talked about at the fold fairly often. It's the misperception of arrival. It's this idea that at some point in life, if this happens or if that happens or if these things are accomplished, sometime in the future, everything will be better. The problems that I have with me right now, I will not carry with me to that other place. Now, this is not always a bad thing. It's not always a misperception. Anthropologists would link this to the innate curiosity in human beings and say, this is why we, we cross oceans and climb mountains and make inventions and build new cities and things like that. It's, it's a good thing, but I think you can see the shadow side of this misconception of arrival. This idea that somewhere in the future, things will be better because the problems I have right now won't go with me there. Sometimes it's a physical place that we're going to arrive at. 
we might move to the city or we might move to the country or we might finally buy that house with some land. And if that happens, if we can get there, then we'll be able to do the things. Sometimes it's, or more often really, it's, it's not a place, but it's an achievement. I'll get married. I'll finally land that job in my dream career. I'll get a promotion. I will graduate. This thing will happen. And when that happens, everything's going to be better. If I can just grin and bear it until then, then everything will be better. I just got to make it until then. Interestingly enough, this always comes from comparison. Sometimes these are intangibles. Sometimes we're going to arrive at finding our passion or discovering love or something like that. And, And we look at other people who have those things and we assume that they don't deal with the problems we do. So if we're single, we look at married people and we say, oh, well, they've got a, they, they don't have the problems we have. And all the married people are like, I might not have the problems you have, but I've got a whole new set of them. <laughs> and I've got some of the old ones because I am the common denominator in my life. I go with me everywhere I go. The thing about this story is that it is a story of arrival. The people of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They've seen incredible miracles, but this comes at the end of 400 years of slavery. Their ancestor, Jacob, and his family went to Egypt. They left the promised land. They're standing right now at the border. The Jordan River is the border of the land that defines their identity, the land that represents God's faithfulness to them. Everything they're longing for is encapsulated in this place, and they have been looking for it for years, for 470 years at this point, since their ancestor Jacob moved to Egypt to escape a famine. They wound up enslaved, and then God does a miracle. He moves in a profound and powerful way. He parts a sea so that they can escape from Egypt, from slavery, and then they're wandering in the wilderness, and over and over and over again, they see miracles and miracles. God leads them in the day with a cloud, and at night with a fire. They get hungry and manna, bread that they don't even have a name for. It's a new type of bread, falls from the sky and feeds them when they're hungry. They run out of water and water comes out of a rock in the wilderness. They see miracle after miracle as they're wandering in the wilderness. At this point, everybody that was an adult that left Egypt has died. It's a whole new generation standing at this border and they have finally arrived. And not only that, God does a miracle. The water is cut off. I just think this is interesting. The waters weren't parted. Back in chapter 3, it says the flow was cut off and the water piled up in a heap. In other words, upstream, the river kept flowing. And instead of flowing downstream, it started piling up as the volume increased, which is just a wild visual. They are finally here. They've arrived. But... Look at how they cross. They cross the miracle road armed. Because even though they're crossing the border into the place that they have been waiting for, they are arriving at a battle. It says 40,000 men cross in front of them to the plains of Jericho for war. They have left one set of struggles and carried some of those struggles with them across the road, only to arrive at another. They might have arrived, but nothing has ended. Nothing's really over. And not that much has changed. 
They've just exchanged one set of issues for another. The people, the story of the history of Israel is similar to our story. It's full of God's faithfulness. It's full of the evidence of God's faithfulness. It's, it's similar to our story as individuals, as a community, as a specific church, and as people throughout history. It's full of evidence of God's faithfulness, but it's also full of trials and struggles and situations. And there's this problem, this significant issue that the people of Israel keep running into, and it's an issue of memory. Remember, perception shapes our understanding. It predicts our interaction with reality. And they seem to, even though over and over again they have found themselves in an unimaginable place where there was no way they could survive and God did an unimaginable thing and made a way, every time they wind up in another unimaginable circumstance throughout the story, they can't imagine a way. They can't imagine a way forward. They perceive the struggle. Guys, we have been in a really difficult two years as human beings. And there have been a lot of times, maybe, maybe you had a more grounded perspective for the last two years, but I did not. I have thought so many times that we arrived. I mean, as humans, I thought so many times that it was over that things were going to return to normal, that we were going to have something precedented happen finally. And over and over and over again, every time I thought, you know what, I think we're over it. I think things are settling down. There was another wave or there was a war in Ukraine or there was inflation or there was something else. It has happened over and over and over again. And I know some of us are tired of talking about this. Some of us are tired of talking about the pandemic. We just want to move on. But there are other people probably in this room who lost jobs or relationships or friends or family members during the pandemic and will never be able to not really talk about it. (laughs) Because it's disrupted life completely. I mean, for the last two years, we have been in a situation where we have each made decisions about our health that have been political for some reason. I'm not commenting, I'm not commenting on the decisions we make for health. I'm just saying, over the last two years, we have, we have made decisions that we thought were making decisions for our own health that have potentially cost us relationships at times. I mean, we have seen families divided. We've got friends we don't talk to anymore. The lines in the sand have been drawn more clearly than at any time in my life. We've been arguing, the the vitriol, the name-calling. It has become a tense time to be alive, no matter your feelings about the pandemic, because it seems like every decision we make might have repercussions in our relationships. There are topics that we just don't talk about around certain friends and family members because we know how it's going to go. It's been hard. I mean, we've got people probably in this room that have, have lived with fear and anxiety. That sort of, you walk out the door, you go over to a family's house, and you don't know what the repercussions of being in that room are going to be. You get a cough, and you don't know what's going to happen. You make a post on Facebook, and you don't know who's going to hate it. Some of us have seen the same amount of money stretch thinner and thinner and cover less and less. Because costs have gone up, but pay hasn't necessarily gone up. It has been a hard couple of years. And it doesn't, it doesn't do us any favors to pretend like that's not true. According to Mental Health America, which is an organization that researches mental health in America, as you might expect, uh, 
one in five, 20% of American adults is currently dealing with a mental illness. Now, I want you to clearly hear what I said, is currently. Not had circumstance-driven depression or anxiety a few years ago. It was treated, circumstances have changed, and they've moved on. Not will develop PTSD or depression later in life due to circumstances. It's not 20% of American adults will at some point in their life face a mental illness because then the number would be way higher. It's 20% of American adults right now. That doesn't include teenagers or children. Just American adults. 5%, 1 in 20, are experiencing a severe mental illness. Once again, almost 5%, nearly 1 in 20, are dealing with severe suicidal thoughts. Over 50% of people struggling with mental illness, and once again, these are just people who would talk to their doctor or some sort of professional and be able to be diagnosed. This doesn't include all of us who are grinning and bearing it. It doesn't include all of the people who are in counseling struggling with anxiety, but not quite to the point of being clinically diagnosed. But over 50% of those with a diagnosable mental illness are not receiving any sort of treatment. Now, I say that for a couple of reasons, because it doesn't help us, number one, to pretend like the problem isn't real. It does not help us to ignore it. It does not help us to pretend that we have arrived. And it does not help us to assume that if we can just stick it out a little longer, it's all going to go away. Because arrival is a misperception. Yeah, things can get better and circumstances can change. But every new circumstance has its own set of troubles. These numbers have increased every year for the last 10. And they increased, I believe it was um, severe mental illness that increased 5% in the last year. The other reason I say that is, is to say this. If you're here today and you fall into any of those categories, any of them, there are people in this room who know exactly how you feel because they feel it and have felt it. And you are not alone. You do not have to struggle through this alone. You are not only known, seen, and loved, but there are people here who can empathize with you. We can do, we have the ability to do as the people of God what we were instructed by Paul, which is to bear one another's burdens. We have the ability to do that. You are known and you are loved. This is part of the reason for the record why at The Fold we have a counselor on our staff who provides free or reduced price counseling to anybody in our community who needs it. Because we are a community pursuing the healing and wholeness of Jesus by finding home, family, and purpose. And we believe that healing is possible. That transformation is possible. If I can be honest with you, one of my consistent call it struggles or temptations or, or, or whatever, is just to see, to get so focused. Even though I know, listen, I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. My grandpa's a pastor. My uncle's, I got three uncles that are pastors. Like it's in the blood. You know what I mean? It's the family business, I guess. Um, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but whatever, I said it. I mean, I, I know all of the sermons. Like I, I, I could preach any of the sermons about, you know, God will get you through it. If he led you to it, he can get you through it and whatever. I, I know what the scriptures say, but it is so easy. I have seen the miracles. We were talking about it in full group this morning. I've seen miracles happen. I've seen the unexplainable supernatural happen before. But it is so easy for me to just get focused on the current struggle. It, is, it can be overwhelming. 
It can be so easy for me to look at the last few years and only see the places I didn't think God came through. You know, the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you ever wonder how many rivers they crossed with no supernatural intervention? The manna came from heaven when they were starving. The water came from the rock when they ran out of water. Quick are we to remember the unparted waters. In the world of of counseling and therapy, there's a technique a lot of Christian counselors use uh, that's called narrative therapy or narrative counseling. There's going to be a quote up on the screen um, that I think helps. It's from a, a counselor and author who shows us a little bit of how this functions. She says it functions on the basic premise that as you experience events and interactions, you give meaning to those experiences, and they in turn influence how you see yourself and the world. In other words, our story, our experiences, craft, they create our perception, and our perception predicts how we will interact with reality. So God told Joshua to set up stones. Now, we translate this as memorial stones. That's a pretty good translation from Hebrew into English. But the problem is, uh, when we think of memorial stones, we've got the wrong association. We put memorial stones on gravestones, maybe. Or we put memorial stones outside of a dorm room that someone gave a lot of money to the college so they can have their name on it, that type of thing. Maybe, depending on the religious background you grew up in, you might be familiar with memorials or shrines being in the home. And we associate these with ornately decorated, sacred places. These are places that we go to remember something or to worship something, and the stone itself is significant. That's not really what these were. These were common in the ancient world, and what they were was a, a rock that was laying on its side that would be st- stood up on end so that it was obvious to anyone coming... Whoop. So it was obvious to anyone coming by... So it was obvious to anyone coming by that a human had done that. That's not how gravity would interact with a rock. It was meant to jog your memory. That you would walk by a spot and say, that's weird. Something must have happened here. Because the stone wasn't sacred. Sometimes they would build temples around or near a stone. And it wasn't even necessarily the place that was sacred. Though sometimes they would build temples and shrines near a place. It was the fact that something happened that was sacred. They needed a reminder. They needed to remember They needed something that would help form their perception so that they would walk by and say, those look like river rocks. I think those are the rocks that came from the bottom of the Jordan. And if they came from the bottom of the Jordan, then the waters must have parted. I can't imagine something like that happening. But if it did happen, then maybe it can happen again. Because our perception informs, it predicts our interaction with our reality. So we need a reminder. Now we're approaching a ideological fork in the road in this sermon. Because here we could take one direction and this could turn into a pump-up sermon. And I could say, if you have faith, then everything will be better. If you can believe it, you can perceive it, and then you'll receive it. And we'll slap it on a bumper sticker and we will go home. The problem with pump-up sermons, though, is that they hype you up to face everything in life. They tell you you can take on anything whether or not you're equipped. (laughs) 
And listen, I don't have anything against pump-up sermons. It's great to be pumped. Sometimes we need to get excited in church. Sometimes we do need to know, and we need to be encouraged, and we need to be excited. There are lots of things in the gospel that should get us a little bit hype. But man, sometimes we leave church feeling like we can take on anything, and then we're left just in the wasteland when we realize we can barely handle anything. There's a, an author and counselor, Dan Allender, who had, had this to say. He said, our spiritual journey must lead through the desert or else our healing will be the product of our own will and wisdom. It is in the silence of the desert that we hear our dependence on noise. It is in the poverty of the desert that we clearly see our attachments to the trinkets and baubles we cling to for security and pleasure. The desert shatters the soul's arrogance and leaves body and soul crying out in thirst and hunger. In the desert, we trust God or die. Are you pumped yet? See, we all know this reality. We all look at the wilderness. We look at the desert. We look at pictures of the Grand Canyon or Monument Valley or Glacier National Park, and we see this beauty that's beautiful because of its austerity. We know that it's beautiful and dangerous, and that's part of the allure. See, there will be wilderness seasons in our lives. I hate to be the first one to tell you that. I'm probably not. You've experienced it by now. There will inevitably be wilderness seasons in our lives. There will be seasons that feel like a wasteland. And listen, it is not because God desires our suffering, but it is rather because we are broken people living in a broken world and we tend to break things. And God will not waste our suffering because he knows the depth that can be formed in our hearts as we go through it. He will not just take us out of it. He will rather redeem it. It happens. Listen, sometimes we wind up in situations that we've done to ourselves. We look at our situation and we say, you know what? I made this bed. This was mostly my own decision. Sometimes we look at our lives and we say, I I don't think I did this at all. This happened to me. It was someone else or it was the circumstances of life that have led me here. More often, For the majority of us, it's both, pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over. We find ourselves in the wilderness. You know, in 2020, for my wife and I, once again, this feels like it's happened four or five times in life so far, we found the future that we thought was laying in front of us thrown into a tailspin. So I started seeing a counselor and a coach, and he told me something at the end of every session. He said... I'm sorry it happened. I hate you have to go through it. Don't rush it. Let God teach you everything he can teach you in the pain. And I hated that. I mean, the first time time I heard it, I was like, yeah, amen, that's good, man. I'll think about that. But I hated it. I hated it. Um, And then the second time, I still hated it. And by, by the third time, I started to see the hope in it. I started to see that I wanted out but God didn't want to waste it. That I wanted out of the wasteland, but God didn't want to waste the wasteland. That I needed a reminder. 
I needed a reminder to see. I needed to learn that in this situation, in unimaginable circumstances, when I thought there is no way this can get better, that God actually could do the the unimaginable. That God actually could not, listen, not in the way I would have wanted it. Not in the way I would have asked for. Not in the way I would have predicted it. I'm not, God is not a slot machine and he's not a genie. We don't get three wishes. It's that he does not waste the wasteland of our lives. It's that in it, he deepens us and forms our hearts and tunes our perception, not so that we will know and predict everything that he does, but so when we find ourselves once again, because it's going to come again, and in an unimaginable situation, we will know, we'll have that glimmer of hope that says, you know what? I remember. I remember when God did the unimaginable, so maybe right now I can trust that something I can't imagine is coming. Maybe I wouldn't predict it. Maybe I wouldn't ask for it, but I can remember that it's coming. He will not waste the wasteland. I've got a friend, um, actually a cousin. I'm from the South. I've got lots of cousins. Um, I have accidentally flirted with one once. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) But my my cousin's an abstract artist. Um, And I know some of you are thinking abstract art. Come on, anybody can do that. Um, The thing about abstract art, and this isn't an art class, I just, uh, let me explain, let me make this connection. The thing about abstract art is that for an artist, there are skills that create art, and there's also perception that creates art. Because you and I might look at something like, let's say, the offcuts from a construction site, something from someone's attic, and see stuff that should be thrown away, or stuff we could have a sword fight with. But an artist might look at that and see materials see something completely transformative. So whenever somebody like me says, I could have done that, the artist responds, but you didn't. (laughs) Because they had the perception. They saw something that was unimaginable in the circumstances. So I I asked my, my cousin, Tobin, of Scarce Covenant to take these and to create a piece of abstract art. Can I tell you something? I could have lived a hundred lives and looked at those things and never built this. I would have never seen this in those ingredients. But man, I looked at it, and I looked at it from a different angle, and I thought, wow, that's it. I would have never seen that. That's interesting. The way it forces my perception to change, the way that there's depth changes, the way the angle changes and the light hits, it's different. And the more I looked at it, the more interested I got. Personally, I love abstract art, so that's part of it. But I realized over and again as I was looking at it, I would have never put this together, but it's all of those ingredients. Now listen, you probably know where this is going, but God is an artist. God is an artist. And you might be looking at your life and seeing all I see is divorce. All I see is addiction. All I see is suffering. All I see is my mental illness. All I see is this. And God is looking at it and he sees ingredients. Listen, it's the same ingredients. I'm not saying that God's just going to give us a whole new circumstance. What I'm saying is God can and will craft something that we couldn't imagine in our lives. Our perspective needs to shift. Our perception must be formed by the faithfulness of God. Listen, it's not a magic trick. It's not, God is not a genie. He does not just take our problems away, but in it, he does form something we couldn't have imagined. Form something we couldn't have imagined. He takes the leftover pieces that we want to throw away and say, I can make art out of this. 
I can make art out of this. I can make something beautiful out of this. See, this is the story of Jesus, friends. This is the story of Jesus. It's always been the unimaginable. When we were in India a couple years ago, we met a guy, some friends of ours met a guy named Prashant who had grown up Hindu and he had studied many different religions and he'd never heard of Christianity. So we read through the book of Matthew with him and he got to this verse where Jesus said, I came, a doctor doesn't come for the well, he comes for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinner. And he said, I've never heard that before. That's unimaginable. I've never heard that before. Gods don't come for the lawbreakers. They make laws and bless the law keepers. This doesn't exist anywhere else. Because Jesus is the unimaginable outcome that we could have never saw coming. Do you want to know how you can trust that Jesus can do the unimaginable? It's because there was no script in history in which God died for those who did not deserve it. And then he did. It's the outcome we couldn't have imagined. We would have never written for ourselves. It's the savior that we needed but didn't know that we needed. We could have lived a hundred lifetimes and written the story a thousand different ways and never come up with Jesus on a cross on our behalf. It's the unimaginable outcome. God is doing the unimaginable. He will not waste the wasteland. Listen, the story has a cross in it. There is pain and suffering. He bled, he sweated drops of blood. We talk a lot about resurrection. We don't talk a lot about the cross sometimes. There was suffering, but he didn't waste the wasteland. He did not waste the wasteland. So as we close, we're going to do something that's probably a little bit cheesy, and that's okay. We're all drinking pumpkin spice lattes, and those are cheesy, so we can do this. Under your chair, there's a rock. Don't grab it yet. Gotcha. (laughs) As we respond, I want you, when you're ready, to grab that rock as a reminder. And for some of you today, that rock might be a reminder that there was a, a stone that rolled away, that Jesus is the unimaginable outcome. You have looked at your life and you have seen ingredients of sin and guilt and shame. And today, you need to know that you can be forgiven, redeemed, and loved that something beautiful can be made from your life and you would have never imagined it. So today you're taking up that rock to say, I believe in Jesus. I trust his death and resurrection. I will let him write the outcome of my life because he's my Lord. For others of us today, though, you might have just found yourself in a situation in life that seems a bit unimaginable. It's funny, the majority of us We just compare our situation to the worst case scenario and then we say, I don't have as bad as other people do. So we just shove it, we grin and bear it, we don't deal with it. But you might be honestly looking at your life and saying, you know what? I cannot see a way out of this. And you're gonna pick up that rock and as we worship, you're gonna feel the weight in your hand and feel the texture in your hand and it's gonna be a reminder. It's gonna be a reminder stone that where there is a river, there was once a road. And where there is a wilderness, there was once a way. And if God has done the unimaginable before, then he can do it again. So in picking up the rock, you're not making some naive claim that everything's going to be fine. What you're saying is, I cannot imagine the outcome, but I'm trusting that God operates beyond my imagination and that he is faithful and that he is good the faithfulness of God will form your perspective and shape your imagination so that you can see his goodness even in the wasteland, even in the wilderness. As we worship, whenever you're ready, I want to encourage you to take one of those rocks 
and to take it home with you. Once again, it seems a little cheesy. You probably did this in youth camp if you grew up in youth camp, but there's a reason why we do it over and over again, because we need reminders. We are a forgetful people. Quick are we to remember unparted water. And we need a reminder. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for the beauty that you create in our lives. We thank you that we do not have to imagine our own rescue or write our own story. But that you, on our behalf, you are the original intercessor standing in the wall, standing in the gap for us. You are the intermediary pleading our case for us. You are the artist crafting something beautiful from the offcuts, from the leftovers. We thank you for that, God. And right now, we do not necessarily ask to see the big picture or the whole story, but we ask that you would give us just enough faith to trust the reminder, just enough faith to hold the rock in our hands and say, I know I can't imagine it, but I choose to believe that where there is a river, there was once a way, and there can be a way again. Let's stand and worship together.